Okay, so the reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and you'll find that on page 827 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Friends, let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Gracious Father, we want to thank you that your word is a light to our feet, that it guides us uh, to know the truth about Jesus and <clears throat> the, what you've done for us in him and the status which we now enjoy, that we might live obediently uh, to you. We pray for ourselves and we pray for the children that uh, we would each be uh, learning more from your word, that uh, we might have spiritual insight and understanding, that we would walk in a way that is worthy of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you something which someone wrote about their experience at a Christian meeting. If I, do, I think I've just gone off the air. Thank you. Uh, let me read to you a, uh, something which was written by someone about their experience at a Christian meeting. And they said, and I quote, I was deeply moved and convinced about the restrictions imposed by God on what we can eat so that we exclude the unclean animals from our diet. Right away, foods such as pork, crab, prawns, shark and rabbit were excluded from my diet. Now, if you uh, didn't know the context, what sort of a person do you think might have written something like that? Uh, you could be forgiven for thinking that it was someone who's just been converted into Judaism, correct? Uh, or even possibly Islam. But uh, this was not someone who was uh, uh, <clears throat> converted into Islam or into Judaism. It was actually written by a man who believes in Jesus. Uh, he had attended a meeting 
in a Christian church where the speaker had preached that uh, Gentile Christians, that is, uh, people who are not Jews, who are Christians, that uh, Gentile Christians must obey the Old Testament food laws. Uh, one of our family members, Cassie's sister, had uh, uh, written to us about this because she had also been invited along to one of those church meetings and uh, Jody's been a Christian for several decades. Uh, she had seen the stuff that was being promoted and she felt that, well, something just didn't seem quite right. She couldn't actually put a finger on it as to what was not quite right because in the promotional materials it had a whole lot of Bible references as well backing up this kind of thing. And so I wonder how you, how you would respond, how you would understand that kind of uh, scenario. It is good for us to think about this because from time to time we will uh, come across people who will say to us that it is great that we believe in Christ, but what about the laws? Uh, what about the food regulations of the Old Testament? Uh, what about the Sabbath regulations about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath and what the Sabbath is and, in fact, what day you take as a Sabbath. Uh, this was a very, very live issue for... Uh, it was a massive issue in many of the New Testament churches. For example, if you think about the church in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul went to Ephesus to <laughs> preach the gospel of Jesus... Uh, where is it that he first went to? Well, it was part of his strategy when he went to a new place, the first place he'd go to would be the local synagogue because that's where Jewish people who were awaiting the Messiah would meet. That's where people would go to in order to learn about God. And so uh, Paul went to the synagogue in Ephesus. He preached there. And there was a number of Jews who became Christians uh, other Jews didn't like that so they booted him out and Paul went to a lecture hall where he for two years each day <clears throat> preached and taught about the gospel, about Jesus and during that period of time a good number of people started believing that Jesus uh, was the Messiah. Uh, but it wasn't just Jews who believed that. Uh, there were many Gentiles, many non-Jews who gathered and heard the word and place their faith in Jesus. And so you've got the situation where you've got Jews and Gentiles both believing the gospel and both being members of one church family. Now, uh, if we were members of a church which had a significant number of, of Jewish people in it, we would think that was pretty amazing, wouldn't we? We, think, we would think that's, that's stunning. That's how, in fact, some people would say, how could, they, how could that be? Right? Uh, we would think it would be amazing. In the first century, it was the opposite to that. Uh, in the first century, for them, it was remarkable, it was astonishing that there would actually be Gentiles in the church, that non-Jews, uh, some of us here may have Jewish blood, but if you are a Gentile, like I think the vast majority of us are here, that people like us, like Gentiles, should actually be trusting in the Jewish Messiah 
and should actually be loving the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, well, that was astonishing. That was incredible. And for some Jews, that was actually just a little bit hard to wrap their heads around, uh, even Jews who had become Christians. And when you think about their context, their situation, it's not... You can kind of understand that. I mean, uh, if you're a Jew who's become a Christian, uh, then you're a person who you've spent your life eating only kosher food, <clears throat> no pork and all of those other things. You've only eaten kosher food. You've uh, you had every male in your family circumcised. Uh, you've spent uh, your life going up to the temple in Jerusalem and offering sacrifices and so on. And that was your background and working through the implications of the gospel to that uh, was a process. And for some, it was, it was hard to change. And so you can imagine <clears throat> Jewish Christians uh, still doing very Jewish things because that's their background, that's their culture. And you can imagine some of the Gentile Christians uh, were thinking, well, maybe we should be doing a little bit of that as well. And you can even think of the Jewish Christians thinking, yeah, well, maybe you should. Maybe you should actually become more Jewish. Now, it seems that over time, the vast majority of members of the Ephesian church were people from a Gentile background. But Paul was also aware that there were, in the first century, one of the real problems was that there were people who'd be travelling around uh, the churches in Asia Minor, that kind of Turkey area, and they would be visiting churches and they would be insisting that Gentiles actually obeyed uh, the Old Testament uh, laws and particularly the law in respect to circumcision. That was a big one. And so Paul was concerned. Um, how then does he equip these Christians in Ephesus to deal with this particular issue? Well, um, in our passage today, in Ephesians chapter 2... Uh, verse 11 to 22, Paul starts by reminding the Gentiles in the church, he wants to remind the Gentiles of, uh, of what they once were, of what they were before they came to know Christ. So if you have a look in verse 11, let me read it for you. He says, Therefore... Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, so he's talking to the Gentiles in the church, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Remember what they were? That's what he's saying. Remember what you once were. Now, over uh, the last series on Genesis, we've um, been really hammering this point that uh, God had made certain promises uh, to Abraham. And I know that you know what those promises were. There was three in particular. He promised, first of all, that uh, he would give Abraham a he would give Abraham a people, a land, and a blessing. Okay. 
Um, Abraham would have many descendants. Abraham and Sarah were getting on in age, but they would have a son and they would have many, many, many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. And they would possess the land of Canaan that would be uh, God's land where God's people would dwell and they would be blessed because they would be God's special people. God would dwell amongst them. A people, a land and a blessing. And, and, uh, and Abraham was, uh, this was the covenant that uh, God was making with Abraham and for Abraham's part he was to circumcise every male uh, in his household. And uh, circumcision is not a, exactly a very visible outward sign but it's a reminder to every person, every male who's a descendant of Abraham that the only reason that he exists was because of the miraculous um, uh, birth of Isaac. And uh, the male instrument was the instrument, of course, that's involved in that. Later on in the Old Testament, God gave Abraham's descendants his moral law, which uh, shows them the character of God. Also, the moral law actually helps us to understand our own fallenness, doesn't it? How far fall we, they, they fell from uh, God's standard. He gave them laws which would set them apart, ceremonial and ritualistic laws that would distinguish them from other nations. He gave them the temple as a symbol, the great symbol that God dwelt amongst them. He gave them the sacrificial system uh, in order to teach them that uh, atonement would need to take place for there to be forgiveness, but that they would have a relationship with him based on forgiveness. So there's great advantages in being a Jew. Great advantages. You've got the promises of the covenant. You've got the temple, the presence of God. You've got the sacrificial system. There's forgiveness of sin. There's relationship with God. You are deeply blessed and if you and I, if we are Gentiles, if we were around back then as Gentiles, we would have none of that. None of that. Uh, in verse 12, Paul reminds the Ephesians, uh, the Ephesian Gentiles, that they were not part of the covenant with Abraham, that they had no promises from God, that they were, and he sums it up, they were without hope and without God in the world. Now, that's a dreadful situation, isn't it? Last Sunday, we saw the importance of the word but, didn't we? We saw in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, just how significant that little three-letter word could be. Sometimes the word but is a very relieving word, isn't it? Uh, I get a call from my daughter's school person on the other end uh, says I'm just phoning up to tell you that your daughter has been involved in an accident and my heart sinks I'm wondering what's going to be said next but she's okay she's just a bit bruised and shaken <laughs> it's a very relieving word isn't it the word but it brings great relief and last week we saw you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were by nature objects of, of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy, has made you alive in Christ. And uh, here we see in verses 12 and 13, Paul reminds them that you were without hope, you were without God in the world, but 
Well, have a look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He goes on to say, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Interesting, that verse 18. It's very Trinitarian, isn't it? For through him, that is through Jesus the Son, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Very Trinitarian. Um, but that's very compact, uh, those verses, 13 to 18. Let me try to unpack a, a little bit of it. Uh, it's saying that Gentiles were alienated. Gentiles were not included uh, in God's uh, people, in God's family. But now two things have happened. First of all, Gentile Christians can now be reconciled to God. And secondly, by implication, be united uh, be as one with Jewish Christians. Uh, in verse 14, Paul says that God has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I wonder what he means by that. Well, there's a couple of thoughts on this. One is that uh, the wall that he's referring to is a wall uh, surrounding uh, outside the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, you see the Gentiles were allowed to enter uh, into one of the outer courts but they weren't allowed to go any closer to the Holy of Holies. They weren't allowed to enter into the court of the Jews. Uh, in fact, uh, there was a sign on the wall which was directed at Gentiles uh, and saying essentially that uh, you know, if you pass through here, you will be arrested and it said, whoever is arrested will be responsible for his own death, which will follow. Now, uh, if you want, do you want a clearer message of separation and exclusion than that? Does that make it clear who's welcome and who's not welcome? Uh, enter through here and you will die. All right? uh, and so uh, that may be the wall that uh, Paul's referring to. Although it's doubtful that the Gentile Christians in Ephesus would have actually ever been to the temple in Jerusalem and have actually ever been confronted by that particular sign. And it may be that uh, really that's just the symbol, the symbol of the real barrier, which is the law of Moses. Um, the commandments which point the finger uh, of guilt at sinful people and the regulations which separate Jews from everybody else. That's the dividing wall, isn't it? Uh, the physical wall came down in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed it. Um, when they, There was a, 
There was a rebellion that took place over a couple of years and uh, it led to the sacking of Jerusalem. But the actual wall, the actual wall which alienated us, all of us from God, the law of Moses, was dealt with when Jesus paid our guilt on the cross. And what that means is that Gentiles in Ephesus were now in a full relationship with God. And that the two groups, the Jews and Gentiles, have in fact become one. Um, you see it in verse 14 where he says, For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And verse 15, his purpose was to create one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Uh, the early Christians in the, uh, in, the early, in the ancient world, from a Jewish perspective, that the world was divided up into two categories of people. There was only Jews and non-Jews. That's, that's how they saw the world, Jews and Gentiles. But because of the gospel, the Christians took a different view and that was that there was a, a new humanity had been created, that there were now three categories of people. There were Jews who didn't believe in Jesus as Messiah, there were Gentiles who didn't believe in Jesus as Messiah and there were all those who believed in Jesus as Messiah, the three categories of people and the two overlap, Jews and Gentiles both believing in Jesus. Um, how is it that they've become these Gentile Christians have become fully united with God? How is it that they've become fully united with Jewish believers? Uh, is it because they started obeying Jewish laws? Um, is it because they gave up eating pork and had their little boys circumcised? Uh, like the preacher I mentioned? Well, in verses 13 to 18, Paul says no that there is only one way that anyone can enjoy a relationship with God and that is in verse 13 through the blood of Christ. Jesus is the only person who ever obeyed uh, God's law perfectly which makes him the perfect sacrifice for sins, for yours and mine. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, there's only one way to get to God and in verse 18... It is through Jesus that we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now friends, <clears throat> false teachers don't usually say that we must obey the Old Testament laws in order to become a Christian. Um, they're usually a whole lot more subtle than that. They're far more likely to say that you will become a more obedient Christian uh, if you obey the Old Testament laws. Have you ever come across it? I, I do, periodically. One of the biggest challenges I had in my early ministry was a group of people called Reconstructionists who actually believed that we had to impose Old Testament law on our society through legislation. And that only then would people become Christians. Uh, I didn't believe that people like that existed until they invited me around to their home, <laughs> fed me a good, food, a good meal, and then started trying to persuade me. These were people in the Presbyterian Church in New South Wales who were saying these things. 
Friends, what they want us to do is they want us to become more, more Jewish, don't they? But how Jewish are we already? In verses 19 to 21, Paul tells us Gentile Christians what we are now. Have a look at that, verse 19. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The greatest symbol of Jewish religion was the temple because symbolically it was where God dwelt. It was where sacrifices were made. But by his death on the cross, what has Jesus done to the temple? He's decommissioned it. He's put it out of business what did jesus say about the temple when the disciples were very impressed by it and said to him teacher look at these marvelous stones this magnificent building he said tear this building down and i will build it up in three days by his death on the cross he is symbolically he has torn that building down and by his resurrection he has built a new temple by the pouring out of his spirit He's created a temple which is made up of people who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Because if you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, then that is because God's spirit dwells in you, that God has changed you, and that therefore we are the temple of God. Now, can you get any more Jewish than to actually be the temple of God. <laughs> to have God dwell in you by his spirit. But notice how this new temple is built. In verse 20, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The prophets who spoke of the coming Messiah, the apostles who took the message out that that Messiah is Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is the cornerstone he is the brick which lines up the whole building. In other parts of the scripture, he is the capstone which keeps the whole building together. Now, in all of this, we therefore uh, need to not only know the truth, but we need to be able to discern error. So we need to be people who can be aware of, uh, of issues. People who tell us, that we need to follow Old Testament food laws and ceremonial laws are people who, if successful, will ultimately drag us away from trusting in Christ alone as the basis of our salvation. If you take on Jewish food laws and ceremonial laws as an expression of your obedience to God, then where do you stop? I want to ask some of these people who say to me that I need to take on food laws, have they had their sons circumcised yet? And why stop at circumcision? What about mixed uh, fabrics in the shirts that you wear? What about stoning the disobedient child to death? Where do you stop? 
I mean, if we're going to start obeying Jewish laws as an act of obedience, then surely we've got to obey all of the Old Testament laws and be judged by them, which is a scary thought. I remember a lady who, you know, there was a lady who was coming along to our church and she started coming along to church. She'd been with us for about a year or so. She was uh, growing in her knowledge of God and uh, the gospel. When some of her neighbours started to hear about her newfound interest in the Lord and they started to go and visit her on a regular basis in her home and they told her that our church was not biblical uh, because we don't follow the Old Testament food laws and the Sabbath laws, um, especially that we don't go to church on the day that the Jews had their Sabbath. We were not Jewish enough. And sadly, they convinced her. I remember the conversation with her in the courtyard when she told me that she wouldn't be coming back because we were just not uh, Jewish enough to be properly right with God. You see, although they preached Christ, they in fact dragged her away from the grace that is found in Christ. And they dragged her into a legalistic righteousness back into the law of Moses as the way of being fully reconciled to God and at peace with him. Friends, if we are Gentiles who trust in the death of Jesus, then on that basis alone, Paul spells out the significance in these last few verses. If we trust in Jesus, then we are no longer strangers. We are no longer aliens. We are now citizens of God's kingdom. We've got the passport. We've got the citizenship papers. We are fully fledged. We are not second class. We are citizens of the kingdom of God based purely on the death of Christ on our behalf. And you know what? We're now also family members. God is our father. And every other person who trusts in Jesus, be they Jew, Gentile, or whatever nation, whatever race, whatever, if they trust in Jesus, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ fully, fully. And that's great news. It gives us confidence Uh, It gives us a right understanding of our relationship with God. But I think there's also a challenge in it for us, and I'll just leave you with this challenge, and that is that I think that we also need to watch out uh, for something within ourselves uh, in so much that there can be a temptation for us to not necessarily fully accept people whom God has accepted Uh, into his kingdom. Uh, We need to be careful that we're not people who think that it's great that someone has put their trust in Christ, but they should take on our culture. They should take on our traditions. They should take on, they should become more like us in order to be fully accepted as brothers and sisters in the same family. 
That's just something we've got to be mindful of. And uh, let, me la- uh, let me lead us now in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you that the blood of Jesus is the sole basis of our relationship with you. We thank you that uh, through him that we who were uh, strangers to the covenant are now citizens of your kingdom, that we who were outsiders are now members of the family. Father, we uh, thank you for that and we pray that uh, we would uh, be confident in what you've done for us, but that also we would have a mindset which seeks to uh, reach out to and include others uh, purely on the basis of Jesus and his death on the cross. Help us to be uh, people who know the truth and help us to be people who can discern uh, legalism and call it for what it is. Uh, Help us to be people who trust purely uh, in your grace and not in any merit of our own. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.